Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Back on the College Football Survivor Show, Doug and Shahan, we're going to kick a team out of our playoff contenders. We're going to see if we welcome a team in. But most of this show, Shahan, is going to be a little different than what we normally do because we're going to just look at four huge games this weekend that involve a bunch of our playoff teams. You have Penn State, Michigan. Both of those teams are in our playoff mix. Both are undefeated. You have Alabama, Tennessee. Both are in our playoff mix. Both undefeated. You have Oklahoma State, TCU. Oklahoma State's in our playoff mix. TCU is right on the edge of it, and both are undefeated. And then USC, Utah, they are both in our playoff mix for now. Utah suffered its second loss last week. So let's get to that right away. We kick a team out every week, Shahan. We've got to do it. There's only one candidate. I tried to like be funny. People get to vote on this. It's CFB Survivor Show on Twitter. The choices this week for which team should be kicked out, choices were 4-2 and two, Utah. Utah is the only choice. Or if people wanted to make a case for booting out somebody else, I gave them that opportunity, but it was a direct tie, Shahan. It's a little amazing. 42.9% for 4-2 and two Utah, 42.9% for Utah is the only choice. What a remarkable vote. And then like 14% of the people were dorking around with somebody else. It's a little bit sad to see Utah go, but two losses, they've, they've got to go, right? Yeah, it is a little unfortunate uh, that we have to kick out Utah. I think that we saw some of the vision for this team this year. We saw these moments where they looked like that complete sort of squad, but it feels like Utah has been kind of snake bitten this year. Obviously, they lose on the last play of the game uh, against Florida. And if they win that game, if they score that touchdown, they're probably still in our mix, even with this loss to UCLA. But unfortunately, you know, football is a game of chances. It's a game of luck at times. And, uh, you know, when Brent Keithy went down, the, the great tight end for them, I don't necessarily know that they have enough to keep up with other teams. So sorry, Utah. We still love you. I, I mean, look, we had two teams from the state of Utah for most of this year that we were very optimistic about. All gone now. Sorry. We really tried. We did try our best. And listen, it. who knew that UCLA was going to be this good? We're going to have a conversation about whether UCLA should join the playoff mix. You know, that's a close game last week, Utah-UCLA. And then the two teams in the second half, it's 14-10 at half, second half, five straight touchdowns to start the second half. And it's just back and forth, back and forth. And then Utah, in trying to keep up, fumbles. And that's kind of it. And then UCLA scores again. And all of a sudden, like a back and forth game is kind of over. And that it has just, it's small margin for error. Florida has not turned out to be great, but that's still a tough place to go play on the road against some talented offensive players. So, I don't think it means that Utah is bad. And again, we're going to talk about the Utah-USC game this week, but they're just not going to make the playoff. You know, if they run the table and beat USC twice, you know, now and in the Pac-12 championship game, or they get, you know, they play UCLA in the Pac-12 championship game and get revenge, they only have one conference loss. They're actually not completely out of it. We're just not going to talk about them for a while. They've got to earn their way back in. We've never had a two-loss playoff team. So that's that's a line that we draw a lot of the time. We might someday have a two-loss playoff team, but is the first two-loss playoff team going to be from the Pac-12? Probably not. That's the thing. I I mean, there are some really nice teams in the Pac-12 right now. I'm very optimistic about what this league is, but there's just no way in hell (laughs) that that the team that becomes the first two-loss team to make the playoff loses their opener against Florida, who's going to end up unranked, and then gets beat pretty bad by UCLA. And by the way, they still have to play USC maybe multiple times. If you're a Utah fan, like, go win the Pac-12, man. Like, do your thing. Do, like, have a great season. It's it's not over, right? But obviously, you know, for our purposes, there, to me, there's there's no window. There's no chance they're done. No, that's probably right. God bless you, Utah. It's not personal. And it's, and it's hard because what they're trying to do now is replicate what they did a year ago, which is have a great, regular season and make the Rose Bowl, which is tremendous. 
this time and then go try to go win it instead of losing a shootout to Ohio State in a great game. But you thought they had such a great year last year. You thought maybe they could step up and it just it it just is not going to work out. So we got to put some we don't have to put somebody in. We always have to kick somebody out. We don't have to put somebody in. Rather than asking yes or no on individual teams this week, Shahan, I asked our Twitter followers at CFB Survivor Show. You get to vote there. I gave them four choices of who should join the mix because I, I do think there's enough good teams on on the edge of our discussion that are in that someone should join. The choice is three undefeated teams, Ole Miss, UCLA, and TCU, or four and two Texas, which again, if we're lining up two lost teams, Texas is probably ahead of Utah because Quinn Ewers was hurt when they lost. But anyway, Texas didn't get voted in. Yeah, yeah, their 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 Texas Tech loss was amazing. I mean, who who could forget it? I can't wait for the committee to just dig in on that Texas Tech loss and talk about like, you know, what does that mean? And Quinn Ewers. So uh Texas got five point one percent of the vote. Did you look at this, Shahan? Do you know who won the vote or do you want to guess? Do not. Okay, so between UCLA, TCU, and Old Miss, UCLA, the Utah win last week, that's a big win. TCU, Kansas win last week. Kansas lost a starting quarterback, but then Jason Bean played really well as a backup quarterback coming in. Big win for TCU. Old Miss kind of chugging along, all undefeated. Who do you think won the texter, the Twitter follower vote? I'd tell you from my perspective, I think it should be UCLA. I mean, two really good wins back-to-back, obviously beating Utah, who was in our playoff mix, beating Washington the week before. I, I think that that should be the team. I'm curious what people picked. It is UCLA, and I kind of thought it was going to be TCU when I put it out there, but that Utah win is really good. 46.7% of the vote for UCLA, 31% uh, for TCU, 17.2% for Ole Miss. I think you could make a case right now for both UCLA and TCU, but that's not how I asked it this week. So the Twitter followers say UCLA. That's one of the votes. Who do you say? What's your vote to put someone in? I vote UCLA. Um, I mean, the last two weeks, they've been one of the most impressive teams in the entire country. Uh, And I think that, you know, look, people are going to go back to that South Alabama game, and they should, because they should have lost that game. South Alabama is not a bad team. I I do, you know, you hear these names, you hear these Sunbelt schools, like South Alabama is not a bad team. Um, And I think that they've made up for it at this point uh, with the two performances that they had. Washington is a team that we're kind of wondering exactly how good they are. I don't think we're really wondering how good Utah is. We know that Utah is a good team and they beat them by double digits. So now UCLA is in a position to uh, to play USC potentially for a chance to to win the Pac-12 and and maybe even with playoff implications on the line. So listen, they're not great defensively. They're not great running it necessarily, but they're being really efficient in the past game. And Dorian Thompson Robinson is a guy that when we had our big, we had a big Heisman discussion on the Apple podcast show this week, we'd invite you guys to try that two ninety nine a month. You get four bonus episodes every month, one every week. And we dug in on the Heisman. He he's playing at that level, right? He is a, he's an efficient playmaker at quarterback and their passing offense is really dangerous right now. So I, I do think UCLA is the right pick there. I'll go along with that. TCU, it's tough. We, we keep making TCU beat people to get in. It was like, well, should we put them in? Like, let's see what happens against Oklahoma. It's like they blow the doors off Oklahoma. It's like, oh, okay, we put them in. They're playing Kansas as an undefeated matchup. Well, let's wait and see what happens. They beat Kansas. Now we're like, ah, one more week, TCU. Let's see what happens against Oklahoma State. Again, TCU beats Oklahoma State. There's going to be no debate. We'll put them in the first 10 seconds next week. But right now, I do think UCLA, it's hard, Shahan, at some point, you have to start evaluating a team at its best, not at its worst. They were lucky that UCLA, their worst, didn't cost them an actual loss. It just was an ugly, weird win against a team that they should have handled much more easily. But the zero matters, and you can see the upside now. And I think Utah is a pretty good, solid front-to-back football team. That is a real win. And they put pressure on Utah, right? The UCLA, they got some stops early when they needed to. Then in the second half, they put the, the pedal of the metal offensively. They made Utah be perfect, and Utah, Utah couldn't do it. And, and you can see how they're going to stress people, you know? And Chip Kelly, we've got to remember, man, Chip Kelly back in the day, he used to be pretty good at this. 
So I think UCLA is the right choice here. We'll add them to the mix. And they, they beat Utah. They're taking Utah's spot. That's also kind of appropriate. Yeah, I, I also do take issue with you saying that they're not efficient running the ball. Zach Charbonnet has been really good. Averaged nine yards per carry last week against Utah. So, I mean, defensively is obviously where UCLA's issues are going to lie. But the one thing that I'll say, while they're not, I, I wouldn't describe them as a good defensive unit. I think they play very physically. I think that they really do kind of stand up to the challenge. Uh, we saw these last two weeks. Again, 32 points for each of their opponents the past two weeks, but they've gotten key stops. They've uh, forced big plays. You know, I think that they do enough, right? We've, we've had this conversation a little bit about, ironically, the, the team across town, USC, where they're really good offensively and their defense does the right things at the right times to make this a competent, good football team. And I, I think UCLA's in that range as well. And, you know, you, look, if things aren't going to ease up, they just beat Utah, they have a bye this week, and then they play at number 12, Oregon. So we're going to really figure some stuff out about UCLA soon. And then on November 19th, probably, you know, one of the games of the year, I think you'd argue UCLA versus USC at the Rose Bowl. You know, so I think that they have a lot of opportunities left to prove themselves. Uh, the schedule's still very manageable. I mean, look, if they lose to one of those two teams, they should run through the rest of that schedule. Stanford, Arizona State, Arizona, Cal. So they still, I mean, right now, after beating Utah, UCLA is dang near clinched a spot in the Pac-12 championship game. It's not a lock at this point, but they are really close to doing that. Uh, and I think they can basically lock it up if they beat Oregon next week. So a lot to be excited about. Uh, and I think that, again, since that game against South Alabama, where just, you know, things go wrong, you, you know, you give a, a good team a chance to stick in that game. Basically, since that moment, they have been on a tear. And I'm willing to kind of define them by what they've done over the last three weeks. Yeah. Again, Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren just dancing in a circle. <laughs> USC and UCLA, future Big Ten members on a potential undefeated collision course. All right, so that's where we are. Our playoff contenders as we sit here right now. In the SEC, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee. In the Big Ten, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. In the ACC, Clemson. In the Pac-12, USC and UCLA. And in the Big 12, Oklahoma State. Those are our 10 right now, and they're all playing each other. We're going to dive in all those games. We're going to break down the matchups and make our picks next on the College Football Survivor Show. Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. CJ Stroud isn't quote unquote a system quarterback. I don't want to like go to that extent, but like the system helps him out a lot in a way that no one else on this list I think is anywhere close to. Lincoln Riley's system helps quarterbacks, but yeah. they run. CJ is a classic drop back passer in a world where there's a lot of guys who aren't that anymore. And I do just think the steady winning production of a quarterback in this system for an individual award, it can be hard for it to translate. And if his stats aren't going to be through the roof, and if he's going to throw for 60 fewer yards per game than he did a year ago, then it comes down to winning. But what if there's other guys who are winning just as much, but they're a little more spectacular and their talent around them is viewed as not as good? I think we're outlining why I think he's the front runner, but it's like a soft front runner and that there are plenty of ways for guys to get to him. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's start with Alabama, Tennessee, Shahan. This is um, this is this is like exactly what you want out of college football. It is a um, it is the dynasty. It is a team, a once pr- you know a proud tradition at Tennessee that has been terrible lately. Josh Heupel has righted the ship there. Hendon Hooker, as we discussed on our Heisman show, is is right uh, in the thick of the Heisman race. I think it's fifteen straight that Alabama has beaten Tennessee back to 2006. It is a um, seven and a half point game. Alabama is favored. It's at Tennessee. And I'm not so sure that right now, the way they're playing, especially, I guess we're assuming that Bryce Young 
the Alabama quarterback is going to play. But also with that shoulder injury, I think maybe we'll assume he's not going to be 100%. Are we sure Tennessee's not better than Alabama? Just like forget like just if, you know, the way they've played, the way they've looked, what they do. Could you make that case or is that a crazy thing to say? So I think the interesting thing for Tennessee this week is, you know, not not to get too into the weeds here, but, you know, Tennessee's offensive system is really built on receivers winning one-on-one matchups. And when you have the kind of receivers like Brew McCoy and Cedric Tillman that Tennessee has, you can do that against a lot of teams. Actually, I was very impressed with the level that they were able to do that against both LSU and against Florida, who I think have pretty decent teams. Um Alabama is a different kind of, uh, of challenge. I, I think that that's probably the biggest question that I have about it is, you know, look, does it work the same way when you're, you know, running this sort of, uh, you know, basically the old Baylor system in some ways and having guys run down the field when you've got Alabama defenders on the outside who can keep up. Now, Cedric Tillman and Brew McCoy, I think, are still going to be able to create space. And by the way, yeah, I, I mean, I think if Bryce Young isn't 100% of this game, if he's 90%, Tennessee might have the better quarterback in this game. Not overall. Bryce Young's a better player than Hendon Hooker. But in this game, they uh, Tennessee might have the quarterback advantage, which is a pretty big deal. And and look, this, this Alabama offense has not been consistent. You, you know, they haven't been unbeatable, even with Bryce Young in the lineup. You know, we have to think back to that 20-19 to 19 win over Texas where they were fully healthy and couldn't make things happen. So I think that Tennessee absolutely has a chance to win this game. I'm not going to go as far as to say that Tennessee's the better team at this point, but I think that they absolutely have an opportunity to win this game. They're playing at home. It's going to be the big CBS game this week. Uh, and, and I think that if Tennessee were to beat Alabama, this is the biggest win for Tennessee in Close to twenty years if they pull Since off. They this won game? the national title. I don't know what would be bigger. Yeah. Like much, <laughs> I don't know. much bigger than beating Saban w- when you've lost fifteen straight times to Alabama. Yeah, I mean it's a rivalry game. You've been down in the dumps. You've had off-field problems. You've had bad coaching hires. You've had everything go wrong at Tennessee. And I do think the question to me, right, is I just don't know if the Bama offense can keep up because. When you look at now, and again, it's hard to get a handle on Bama. I thought that Bama, with or without Bryce Young, was going to play Texas A&M last week and be mad and steamroll them. And they missed Bryce Young desperately. Jalen Milrow did his best. He's dynamic in the run game. You could see him hesitate in the pocket at times, right? Maybe guys weren't open or he's a little reluctant to let it go. Bryce Young, poise in the pocket, will let it rip, doesn't need a big window. So again, if, if Bryce Young, like so, for some reason, doesn't play, which is not what anyone's expecting, like I, it's over. I don't think there's any chance there. But you look, they really only have two games, I think, that matter. Alabama offensively to try to judge what's going to happen against Tennessee. And it's what they did against Texas early and then what they did against Arkansas a couple weeks ago. Against Arkansas a couple weeks ago, they scored touchdowns on four of their first seven possessions and built a 28 nothing lead. And then it got a little loose and Arkansas scored an onside kicked and all of a sudden it was a game again. And then they scored touchdowns on three straight possessions in the second half as soon as Arkansas made it close and pulled away. So that was a BAM offense. It's like, okay, well, they're, they're doing what needs to be done. They're, they're making a statement early. When they get tested, they do it again late. Against Texas, man, they scored 20 points. They punted six straight possessions in the middle of that game. Six straight possessions against it's not like Texas has one of the best five defenses in the country. But then Texas, once Quinn Ewers got hurt, they couldn't pull away from that. If Bama punts three straight times against Tennessee, they're going to be down 14 points, right? And so that's the thing. I just don't know. The Bama, the Tennessee defense is is playing well. Bama's defense is definitely better. But I don't. I do think between the shots down the field and what Hendon Hooker's going to do in the RPO game and scrambling in the middle of the field and making plays – and just being one of the best quarterbacks in college football, I'm I'm pretty confident that Tennessee's going to score. I'm not as confident that Bama's going to score. Jameer Gibbs was really good last week running the ball when Alabama needed him. But I, it, you don't. There are real questions about this Bama offense. I think that's totally fair, and I think that you know, look again, that battle is going to be decided on the outside with Tennessee's receivers. Uh, you know, I, I keep going back to it, but seriously, I mean, 
I'm curious how the system works. I'm curious what Josh Heupel has drawn up because, you know, it's a different kind of game when you don't know that your receivers are going to win those battles. So I I think that this, in a funny way, could be a lower scoring game than people expect for two of the best quarterbacks in the entire country in Hendon Hooker and Bryce Young. Obviously, if you listen to yesterday's show, the guy who won the Heisman last year and the guy who right now I'd pick to win the Heisman. So, you know, I, I think it could be a lower scoring game. I think it could be a little bit of a slog, but... The other thing that I think you have to credit Hendon Hooker for, and I spoke about this a little bit on the on the, the Apple show, is I think that he does a really good job of taking yards that are there on the ground. You know, he's not a, a scrambler. He's not a panic and run kind of guy. He's a first down is six yards away. Let me get seven yards. And I, I think that that sort of thing... Uh, in a game that might be a little bit more of a slog, I expect, you know, Alabama's probably going to play some, some, you know, high safety looks, some two high safety looks to try to just keep the game in front of them. And I think it's really going to be, hey, can, can Hendon Hooker specifically put together play after play after play, drive after drive after drive? Cause I don't think they're going to get a whole lot of explosiveness in this game, relatively speaking. You don't, you don't think Tennessee will get explosiveness in this game because of the, of the Bama secondary? I, I think that I think that Alabama is really going to try and take that away, and I think they're talented enough to mostly take it away. Now Tennessee is going to score a forty-eight yard touchdown somewhere. They just are; they're, they're that good. But I, I do think that the game will be decided on whether they can make things happen when they're not being explosive, when they're not chucking the ball downfield. Because I, I do expect Alabama to try to keep the game in front of them and uh, and we'll kind of have to see how Tennessee responds. And, and with a quarterback like Hendon Hooker who's playing at such a high level right now, I think he can handle it. I, I do think sometimes, right, if you have an explosive offense, if you keep everything in front of you and make them work and put together a 10-play drive, some offenses then that means like, well, they're going to make a mistake. You know, someone's going to blow a protection and there's going to be a sack and now you're behind the chains and you're going to wind up punting or you're going to get loose with it and throw a pick. You know, like I don't think Tennessee's that. They are explosive. They lead the nation in plays of 40 yards or more this season. They have 14. Alabama is actually tied for fifth with 11. So there's not a huge gap there. But both these teams do have that ability, that big playability. Bama hasn't looked great. And listen, Tennessee has played some tight games. Right, Tennessee, like they get in some some shootouts. They, you know, they I think it was one score game against Florida. It's not like they've been steamrolling everybody, but it does feel like they've been pressure tested. That Hendon Hooker's been tested, and we have seen over the years sometimes this is like a this was Johnny Manziel, this was Joe Burrow, this is like hey, Mister Quarterback, it's time to grow up. Let's see what you got. And and SEC quarterbacks, you make your name against Bama, man, and it just feels like it's maybe. It's maybe setting up for that in a world where I do, I am definitely factoring in some percent less than 100% for Bryce Young because he is a magic man. He is, he is a guy who has saved Alabama. And I just over, you know, last year, this year, you can, you can see when Bryce Young saves them. And Bama's been in spots where it's like, hey, they need to drive on the final play of the game to score the winning field goal or, or winning touchdown. I just feel like Hendon Hooker, might be good enough to put even more pressure on Bama than pressure has been put on them so far. And then Bryce Young, if he's not quite himself, may not be able to respond the way he's responded a million times before. Zero doubts about healthy Bryce Young. But in in that showdown, I think I'm going to pick Tennessee to win this game. It's about a seven, seven and a half point line. It's at Tennessee. It's, it's one of these things that's hard with Bama. You always think, man, I, you know, all the teams that should have gotten Bama when they had them. Texas should have gotten them this year. Auburn should have gotten them last year. And a lot of times when you don't get them, then it's like, okay, you didn't get us. Auburn should have gotten them. What happens the next week? They beat Georgia. It's like you had your chance. You didn't take it. Sometimes if you, if you don't take advantage of the one shot against Bama, they make you pay. So they've survived so far. Maybe they're surviving and the chances are gone. But I just think there's a combination here with what Tennessee does. I think they will hit a player or two down the sideline, and I think Hooker is. I think Hooker rises to the occasion, and I think it's a back and forth game in the 30s, and Tennessee wins by a score. No, and the thing is, right? If Tennessee is not going to be Alabama this year, when when do they plan on beating them? Right? It's in, and the answer so far has been never. Right? 15 in a row, like you mentioned, dating back to before Nick Saban got there. They couldn't even beat the 2007 Nick Saban team that lost to ULM. That, that's how bad it's been over the last little while. Basically, everybody else has like had a moment or a time. And Tennessee plays this team every single dang year. 
and they couldn't uh, they couldn't create an opportunity. So I, th- I definitely think this is the moment for Tennessee to do it. I, I'm not going to pick them to win. I am going to pick them to cover. Uh, and I think again, I, I think this could end up being a slightly lower scoring game than people expect because I also think that Alabama might try to hang on to the ball and keep it away from that Tennessee offense and, and try to shorten the game a little bit. So, uh, so I, I think that that Tennessee covers. I definitely think it's a very close game. I think they have a chance to win at the end. I, I'm going to pick Bama to narrowly eke it out, but uh, but Tennessee definitely within seven points. I mean, seven and a half feels like a crazy line to me. Yeah, yeah, especially at Tennessee. Um, okay, let's move to TCU and Oklahoma State. TCU in EPA per play offensively, which is like a, a advanced stat of sort of like an expectation of what a typical team would do, how many points they would score given this situation, this, uh, you know, given per play. It's whatever. They're third in the nation. I think the best unit in this TCU Oklahoma State game is the TCU offense. Oklahoma State, again, I think Spencer Sanders is, is a borderline legit Heisman candidate, but uh, Max Duggan can run it and throw it. TCU is favored by three and a half in this game. I'm curious, Shahan, generally before we, we dig in on this, do you? we've talked about this a lot in the Big 12. Do you think everybody in the Big 12 is just going to beat each other up and you're going to wind up with maybe even like a two-loss Big 12 champ? Or do you think it's possible that the team that wins this game is the best team in the Big 12 and has a chance to go 13 and 0 or do you well then whoever wins this Baylor will get them or Kansas State will get them or something else what's your vibe there So my feeling is I think there's one team in the Big 12 that I think can go through and only lose one game and that's Oklahoma State I I think that Oklahoma State has the combination of talent and depth and experience to be able to handle that sort of stretch run, especially after, by the way, I mean, they were literally six inches away from going to the playoff last year uh, before Baylor got that tackle at the goal line. So I think that that's the one team who can handle all that. Uh, TCU is interesting, right? TCU is very interesting. They're obviously undefeated to this point. Something I will note about them, I just think it's important context. They really haven't played a defense of any magnitude so far this season. I mean, the, their Power Five games are Colorado. They played SMU in the non-conference, and you know SMU's an okay defense. They're not bad, but they're not good. Uh, I, I think then you look at Oklahoma, who's been a disaster so far. I don't know exactly what to take from that game uh, at this point. And then, you know, it, it was a lot of resilience to, to come through against Kansas when they were kind of had their backs against the wall. But Kansas also isn't a super dominant defense by any means either well Oklahoma State is a very good defense they, they really defend at a high level and the biggest question that I'm going to have about this Oklahoma State team against TCU is you know can Oklahoma State's pass rushers get all the way to the quarterback you know because one thing that we've seen so far this season is that teams that play against TCU tend to go after the quarterback but almost discount the quarterback run game you know they do a very bad job of setting the edge of keeping things contained of keeping Max Duggan in the pocket. I don't think Oklahoma State is going to have that same kind of trouble. But the big thing, too, also when we talk about getting to, to zero or one loss by the end of the year is, is I don't know exactly how deep TCU is with quality players just because it's sort of a first year of a, of a flip around in some ways. I think they're really good at the top. I don't know how good their second line is. And, and so I do worry about them a little more when they play through the rest of the regular season. And, and the, the team also, you know, just to get back to the Big 12 for one second, that I feel like could also have only one loss in Big 12 play and potentially have a chance to win the Big 12 is Kansas State. But they've already got a non-conference loss to Tulane. If, if, if they didn't lose to Tulane, they'd be in our conversation. I'd feel pretty good about it. But uh, unfortunately, they did lose to Tulane for God knows what reason. So, you know, so I think ultimately to, to, to provide a long-winded answer to your question, I do think that this is probably uh, this is probably a league that's going to have a two-loss champion and probably will not be in the playoffs. But I think that if there's a team that can thread that needle and only lose one game and finish 12-1 and in the Big 12, and 12-1, and in my opinion, is plenty to get in with how good the Big 12 is this year I think that team is Oklahoma State this feels a little similar to Tennessee Alabama to me right that Alabama and Oklahoma State have the better defenses in these two games and and Alabama and Oklahoma State both have great quarterbacks but if you're trying to figure out how Tennessee and TCU win it's you have a playmaking quarterback and does that open everything else up Max Duggan's throwing for 260 a game he's running for 40 a game 
is is he the kind of quarterback in your mind who can go out and and they're both at home right this is at tcu so tcu and tennessee both have that extra little juice of the home field advantage can max duggan go win a game like this is he that kind of quarterback in your mind i think what's interesting is that uh I think that so much of what Max Duggan does is built off of running the system well, you know, of, of being put in good spots. And when he's put in good spots, which Sonny Dykes and Garrett Riley do at an incredibly high level, then I think that, you know, he can make those kinds of plays, right? We saw that against Oklahoma and we also saw that against Kansas as well. So I think that the offense in totality can make those plays, can be put in tough spots and come out of it. I, I don't know because, you know, I, I do make a distinction between those two things, right? I, I do think that with Spencer Sanders even, and then obviously with Hendon Hooker, what we've seen this season, we've seen their football smarts take over. We've seen them kind of come through and say, look, everything's broken down. What's going to happen? I'm going to make the right decision. I'm going to make the right read. I'm going to make the right run. I don't necessarily know that we've seen Max Duggan perform out of structure in this offense so far. He had to do it a whole lot his first three years on campus to varying levels of success. But now, you know, he has such good structure around him. He has a system that really works. Uh, I I don't know necessarily that I trust him in that kind of way, the way that I do a Spencer Sanders or a Hendon Hooker or certainly a Bryce Young. Obviously, that's another level. And you do, you've had questions at times about Oklahoma State's defense, losing Jim Knowles as a defensive coordinator to Ohio State. But you think they have shown enough the past couple of weeks that you you do believe in the Oklahoma State defense in a game like this? Definitely. I mean, this is a really, really, really good front seven, like a really good front seven. And they've got some guys on the back end. They, they had to replace quite a bit. I know uh, one could tra- transfer to Ohio State, one could transfer to LSU. So they had to rebuild a little bit on that end. But I've really liked what I've seen so far from them. And I think the bigger thing, too, especially in a game like this, is I don't think TCU's offensive line has been tested at a really high level to this point. The one instance that it was was actually against SMU, which is a good pass rushing team. And it was it was a little bit of a mixed bag. They handled themselves okay, but they also allowed a few sacks. I think Oklahoma State's going to be able to get a lot more pressure on Max Duggan. Now, again, they do a great job of working out a structure in that offense. Uh, it's such a well-designed offense. And, you know, if you want to hear a little more about it, maybe you should uh, check out CBSSports.com on Thursday when I'm going to have a story on it. But I think that uh, that one of the things is just... You know, how do they respond to that moment? Are they able to kind of mitigate some things? I think we see, probably see a lot of quarterback run to kind of keep that defense on its heels so that he's not standing there in the pocket and letting them pin their ears back. But it, it, it's a lot. I mean, I don't want to understate TCU as a team that, again, hasn't played a good defense. But Oklahoma State, I think, is going to be a different kind of challenge. All right. I was on the fence coming into this. You have swayed me. So you're taking Oklahoma State, I assume, in this matchup? Yeah, I'm taking Oklahoma State out, right? I will be at that game, too, so that should be fun. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, do you think it'll be a better game than Texas-Oklahoma was last week? (laughs) I think it'll be a better game, yes. Yeah. Um, And and it is one of these things. Oklahoma State may be the most underrated program in the country, right? I mean, there's more probably program-winning infrastructure at Oklahoma State just because TCU's in year one of a new regime and that kind of thing. There've been a ton of that at TCU over the years, but like Oklahoma state is sort of built for this. And much like we said, Hey, Oh, you know, Utah, you thought this was their year and it just didn't quite work out. Um, Oklahoma state's been building to something like this for even longer. And the idea that at some point they're going to get the, the, you know, the, the extra foot they need to get over the top and make the college football playoff and and be the Big 12 champs and really show everybody how good they are. They're in a you know a, a similar spot to like what Michigan was a year ago, right? That the idea of like these guys are good. They just need to break through. Maybe this is it. And if this is your breakthrough year, then you go win a game like this on the road. So, we'll both pick Oklahoma State here. Yes, I agree. I I think, you know, just to get back to that point for one second. I mean, people I think nationally look at Oklahoma State and they see you know the the guy with the mullet who yells a lot and loses to Oklahoma and o- Oklahoma State I think has won 10 games seven times over the past 11 years which is unbelievable I mean unbelievable unbelievable stuff we hear the way people talk about like a Wisconsin for doing that and they should 
Oklahoma State should be talked about like Wisconsin, except obviously with way less resources than what Wisconsin has to to function as it. Now, I think that obviously the losses to Oklahoma, their rival, make things look a little worse, especially since Oklahoma has just dominated the Big 12 over the last 10 years. But I don't think that I, I think that we need to be careful not to diminish what Oklahoma State has done with what they have, with what Mike Gundy has, because uh, because I think Mike Gundy is one of the best coaches in the entire sport. And it's time that we talk about it like that. OK, so we're both taking Oklahoma State there. Let's go to um, Penn State, Michigan. This is what is this? This is at Michigan, right? Is that right? Is that Michigan? Um, yes, it's at Michigan. Michigan's favored by six and a half. This Michigan's really balanced across the board. They're good on defense. They're good on offense. They run the ball really well. Penn State's offense doesn't stack up in the same way, although Penn State's offensive line's played better this year. They've certainly added some playmakers. Um, Parker Washington has been there at receiver. Michael Tinsley as a transfer is making a difference at receiver. Nicholas Singleton as a true freshman running back. They do often use the, the best Penn State teams have some dudes at the skill spots. And once again, they lost Jahan Dotson, but they do have that. Manny Diaz, first-year defensive coordinator, is getting it done. They have some guys in the secondary. But the quarterback play, it's more of a game manager situation with Sean Clifford, veteran guy for Penn State. And then Michigan is running the ball like crazy with Blake Corum, but they've got that sort of dynamic piece at quarterback with J.J. McCarthy, that a year ago Michigan was game manager with Caden McNamara, and it got him to the playoff. Now they're a little more boomer bust at quarterback, but J.J. McCarthy is making big plays, good yards per attempt. I think this is really, really, really a toss-up, Shahan. I think they, these two teams are very similar in a lot of ways, and I do think they both are very good. I think maybe in the end it comes down to like one or two plays and which team is a little more built to, to spring a run out of the box or, or have one big play, play action down the sideline kind of thing. And I think that's Michigan. Their receiver, you know, Roman Wilson, Ronnie Bell, Cornelius Johnson, they have some playmakers on the outside. They're a little more explosive, I think, across the board offensively this year. But I'm not a thousand percent sure that it's Michigan, but I feel like this is a game that could turn on two plays on a couple 50-50 balls, that kind of thing. I, I, I do think it's, I do think it's very even. Again, that six and a half at home for Michigan, I would take Penn State with the number. But in terms of who's going to win, I could go either way here. Is it overstating it to say that we know literally nothing about either of these teams? Like, you look back, I, I think that Purdue win is aging okay for Penn State, but it was a really tight game. The Auburn win is meaningless. They have this weird game against Northwestern on October 1st. And then for Michigan... Like they played the worst non-conference schedule, maybe in the history of football. They barely beat Maryland. They go on the road and look fine against an Iowa team that probably sucks. Good defense, good defense, good defense. Terrible offense, terrible offense. I think solid defense. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, fair, fair. But as an overall team, right, to beat Iowa by 13 is like fine. That's fine. You know, whatever. Uh, and then they beat Indiana on the road. So like, I don't feel like I know anything about either of these teams at this point. I, I think that I think that like when you evaluate Michigan, you almost have to carry over some of what they did last year. And, and you have to carry over the fact that Blake Corum against pretty good defenses like Iowa and Indiana are not bad defenses. He's looked awesome. I think that that's huge. I still feel like I don't know how J.J. McCarthy is going to react in this situation against a defense that can hang with them and and when he has to go out and score points, you know, because obviously they went on the road against Iowa and he wasn't asked to do too much, which I think was a smart move by Michigan's coaching staff. But I, I truly feel like I know nothing about these two teams at this point because of just a weird quirks of their schedule, because of teams that they played maybe underperforming and... I don't know. I, I mean, I think that, like you said, you probably trust Michigan's program depth just a little bit more than Penn State's at this point. I mean, Penn State, again, really weird game uh, against Northwestern, kind of weird game, honestly, against Central Michigan. That was a little competitive longer than it should have been. The only real dominant game we've seen from them so far is going on the road and beating Auburn, and Auburn's kind of reeling right now. 
I don't know. I, I mean, I think that I lean Michigan just because of, you know, kind of what I was saying, the the program depth and the experience that they've got. And I think that they're a little more dynamic at, at quarterback and they've got that dude at running back. But like, I don't know, man, <laughs> like this game could go either direction. And honestly, both these teams might be bad. I have no idea. No, I, I don't think they're both bad. I, I think they're both good teams. But I do think they are they are very similar in multiple ways, because listen, there are some teams in the Big Ten that play good statistical defense, but it's because on offense, they go three and out and punt and try to play field position and they never try to do anything offensively. You can say Iowa. I can say Iowa. They're constantly just worried about putting their defense in good position. So it's like, okay, there's a good statistical case. Yeah, they have some good players, but like, how good are they really? I don't think that that's not what Penn State and Michigan are, but they're, I think they're legitimately good defenses and they have some, they do have some dudes on offense. But I do think a lot of this is, you know, both these quarterbacks can make mistakes. Sean Clifford is a guy who's been around a million games like this, but he still can, you know, overthrow a dude who's running wide open on a crossing route over the middle of the field and miss him by five yards and it's a pick. J.J. McCarthy is a little new to this, and he can maybe run around and keep a play alive and make a third down throw and pick up 11 yards on third and nine on his own, or he can run around and then drop the ball because he's trying to do too much. So I, it, it's so much, I think, just like almost which quarterback can make a play or two, but also avoid a killer mistake. I do think the run game matchup, the three Big Ten games that Michigan's played, they definitely want to run it a lot. They haven't necessarily run it spectacularly, Against Indiana, 40 carries for 165, 4.1-yard average for Michigan. Against Iowa, 42 carries for 172, 4.1-yard average. Against Maryland, 40 carries, 243, 6.1-yard average. Penn State, by EPA, has a top 10 rush defense. I think that's real. And if they sort of slam Blake Corum into the line 30 times, which is the load he's been carrying, Big Ten games, 30 carries, 29-25, you know, stacking up yards – but if there's no explosion there, then it gets back on McCarthy, right? He's going to have to convert some third downs. I think offensively, Penn State's been bad on third downs. But, you know, in the, in the Indiana and Maryland game, he averaged over eight yards per attempt. In the Iowa game, he only averaged 6.5 yards per attempt, 24 passes for 155. If it's that, if, if Penn State's defense can do a version of what Iowa's defense did, right, which is run it a lot, you'll be okay, but it's not going to kill us. And then your throw game isn't very dynamic either. Penn State offensively is light years ahead of Iowa because everybody is. So if, if Penn State can can stop the run, not shut it down, but limit it and put it on McCarthy, I think Penn State can win. But, uh, but Michigan's going to try, right? Michigan's going to try. They're not going to go away from the run. Um I, I do just think in the end, I'm going to lean a little bit on the Michigan receivers, lean on Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards in the backfield, lean on a little bit more dynamic play from J.J. McCarthy. But I I think it's practically a toss-up, and it's at Michigan. So I'm going to take Michigan, but not very confidently. And this has been an interesting series. Penn State Michigan kind of gone back and forth with like, one team's good one year, one team's down, one team, you know, Jim Harbaugh and James Franklin. Harbaugh is four and three against James Franklin. This really matters. This is a test of who's the second best team in the Big Ten. If we were in a 12-team playoff system, this would be super, super duper interesting. But even in a four-team system, it's pretty interesting. But the bottom line is whoever wins this game still has to beat Ohio State. But I think it's Michigan barely. It's a noon game. I'm super excited to watch it. And I'm it's just who can make dynamic plays offensively without making killer mistakes, because that's not really what either team is built on the way Ohio state's built on making dynamic plays offensively. But I think both are capable, right? It's not their best thing, but both can do it, but I don't know who's going to do it more. So I'll take Michigan barely, but not very confidently. Yeah. I mean, I think I just kind of lean on home field advantage at a certain point, right? Like, I don't know that there's a whole lot else that separates these two teams. I, I do agree. You know, 
Michigan has more guys probably in the receiving game. I think that Penn State has the best guy in the receiving game in Parker Washington. Michigan's got, and then it's kind of flipped. Michigan has the best guy at running back in this game in Blake Corum, but Penn State has a couple dudes who I really like uh, with obviously Nick Singleton leading the way for them. It really does feel like, okay, which team breaks serve? Which team lets up an explosive play? Which team lets, uh, you know, Parker Washington break free or Blake Corum break free? And, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't have any sort of good feel for this game. So I'm just going to literally lean on home field advantage. And and honestly, if you're a gambling person, which I'm not, uh, I mean, I view this as, yeah, basically a an even line. So if you're getting six and a half points, I think that's probably good value. Yeah, and you look at it again, EPA defensively, Michigan is fifth in the nation, Penn State is seventh. So I think the other thing you're watching for here with both teams is how are their defenses really good? And you have to have this in the back of your mind because we're looking big picture. Can either of these defenses, do they look like a defense that can slow down Ohio State? Do they have enough of a pass rush? Do they have enough guys in the secondary who can hang with the Ohio State receivers? And then if they can slow down Ohio State at all, are they dynamic enough on offense when you can see, could you see how, well, you know, I think they have a chance to get to 31, right? Because you're not going to beat Ohio State 17-14. And so you're on alert for that here. And I think both those things are possible. Not that anyone would pick these two teams to beat Ohio State right now, but you're looking for the idea of it. What's the version of these teams that could beat Ohio State? And listen, if these defenses are both giving it up on Saturday, you know, Penn State can't stop Michigan. It's like, well, then how is Penn State going to stop Ohio State and vice versa? So I think what you want is good, solid defense that makes it tough and then some big plays at big moments that remind you of like, hey, no, there's some talented guys at the skill positions here. So we'll both take Michigan slightly. Yeah. And I'm super excited. I can't wait. I can't wait to watch this one. I would love to see one of these teams win emphatically I, I'd love for this not to be a three-point game I'd love for this to be a 10-point game or something like that because I'd to, love to for say one- we definitely know who the best team is in this matchup but also the winner oh man they can hang with Ohio State right I, I would love to see a team come out of this and say we are the best team <laughs> not we are I'm not saying as we've been say uh, but <laughs> I would love for a team to come out and say we are the best team to challenge Ohio State. We are the second best team in the Big Ten. We are the other contender in the Big Ten. I want a team to come out of this matchup and say that. And uh, and if it's a close game, I don't know if I'm going to do that. But if 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 Michigan or Penn State, either way, uh, comes out and, and really has an emphatic victory, that's going to make me feel really good about not just where that team stands, but where the Big Ten stands as well. And again, like sort of the round robin of this, this, this game is Penn State at Michigan. And then Michigan is at Ohio State. And then Ohio State is at Penn State. So like this is, you know, all that matters a little bit. The Penn State-Ohio State game is coming up on Halloween, but it's not going to be a night game, which is often like that's going to be a really tough place to play at night. So there'll be a good home field advantage here for Michigan, and it'll be a noon kickoff, and we will be watching that one. Quick break. When we come back, the last game we're going to break down, and then we'll also do our rankings very quickly. Next, it's Utah-USC on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Doug and Shahan, talk about teams that we're not exactly sure about. I think that applies to USC because statistically, EPA offensively, they're fourth in the nation. They're 59th defensively. I think there are legitimate questions about the USC defense but they've also had some weird situations with the offense. Um, again, I would look at the Oregon. Is it the Oregon State game where they they only scored ten points in their first eight possessions and were down fourteen ten and then had to drive on the last possession of the game to win seventeen fourteen? Ten points on your first eight possessions against Oregon State. 
is not great, brother. And they have faced, they have steamrolled some other teams. They steamrolled Arizona State. Their defense is terrible. They steamrolled Stanford. Their defense is terrible. Um, they had a situation. They they were punting a lot against Washington State. Washington State's defense is okay. It's not great. Uh, they punted five times in their first eight possessions there and only has 17 points in their first eight possessions. Utah is going to be the best defense that they faced. I think Utah's defense is, is good and solid, not spectacular, but it's going to be the best one that, you, that USC's faced. And they have struggled at times against average defenses. And I don't know that I trust the USC defense that much. So yes, Utah has two losses, but it's at Utah. I also think there's almost part of this Shahan of if there is an intangible thing, well, Utah's like, well, I mean, we're just playing to win games now. We're not worried about the playoff, right? We have our two losses. And USC is like, holy moly, we're still undefeated. Oh, my gosh. We're looking at the Battle of Los Angeles in November. I kind of like Utah in this spot because I still, all credit to USC for being this good right away of year one with Lincoln Riley with all these transfers. But I still feel like I have questions about USC. I definitely have questions about USC, but uh, I want to be very clear before we get, (laughs) I say this, I'm not saying USC's defense is good. They're not good. I, I want to be very clear about that. I'm going to cut that. I'm going to get the editor to splice out the knot there <laughs> just to make it very good. I'm not saying. Yeah. So go ahead. <laughs> so here's what I'll say. You, you talked about a team and, you know, we were obviously talking about Iowa that, that uses their offense to put their defense in good position so their defense can excel. This is the opposite of that. This is the polar opposite of what they're dealing with. Right. And we saw Sometimes issues with that at Oklahoma. I think that there are some of the same issues here. But I actually think that the USC defense has handled itself very well situationally. Uh, now, again, sometimes it's, okay, we got a sack. Sometimes it's, we got an interception. Are those projectable plays? I think that that's a fair question to ask. But they've done it in multiple games. You know, because I think that you look at it, obviously that Oregon State game is the one that, you know, whenever we're having conversations at the end of the year, we're going to be asking what the heck happened against Oregon State. But USC's defense stood up and played at a high level against an offense that's pretty solid. You know, they, they held them at 320 yards, uh, you know, and, and they also forced four interceptions. Now, again, interceptions, how much do you apply to that? You know, that's obviously a fair question. But they put themselves in good situations, and they got Oregon State off the field multiple times in situations that could have ended the game for USC because USC's offense wasn't rolling. And I actually think that you do look back at this Washington State game. And I think Washington State's very good. I actually have them as a top 30 team right now, uh, even with the loss. And defensively, they've been pretty dang good. And offensively, they've been special, especially with quarterback Cam Ward. They did a good job of, you know, kind of what I said earlier, keeping the game in front of them, of getting uh, Washington State off the field in key spots. Because this USC offense was not rolling, especially in the first half of this game. And I think that you do legitimately have to credit uh, USC's defense with keeping Washington State off the board for the entire first quarter, for uh, for doing a really good job in the second half. I think actually holding them uh, scoreless in the second half as well. This is a pretty good Washington State offense, and they played really well situationally to make that happen. So... It's not a good defense. I want to be very clear about that. But they make plays at the right times and the right places to give their offense a chance to get back into rhythm. Because honestly, I mean, again, I don't want to overstate it the other direction, but USC's offense has not been consistently great over the first six games of the year. And I think that their defense has given them a chance. I, I think their defense is a huge part of giving them a chance to make up for that and be in position to still win games anyway. I think a lot of anyone's USC evaluation depends on how you view turnovers, right? Because they they lead the nation in turnover margin. They're plus 14. They have 15 takeaways, and they only have given it away once the whole year. They're plus 14. No team, other team in the country is better than plus nine. That is a huge advantage. And Utah is actually pretty good at this. Utah is plus seven, which is like in the top 20. But if you look at Utah's season, if Utah – doesn't throw the pick at the end of the game against Florida, they beat Florida. And as we said, when they were going head-to-head with UCLA in the second half last last week, they were trading touchdowns, and then Cam Rising fumbled at an inopportune time. And that turnover kind of changed the momentum of that, of that game. So that has not happened to USC. Everything about the turnovers has been a rocket boost for USC. So do you believe that to be something that a team does? They are good at it. They're there's something in their design that they're tricking quarterbacks. They have a great pass rush. They're putting people in stressful situations. And the result is turnovers. Or do you think the turnovers are luck? 
I think mostly among good teams, turnovers are luck. And I think if USC doesn't win the turnover battle by a significant margin in this game, they're going to have a hard time winning. So I think that they, from my perspective, I think they just don't, they have to not lose it. I think that they have to at least uh, keep it even. I mean, one thing that I'll say, right, when you talk about turnovers is you also have to look at what the rest of that defense is doing. And they have right now the nation's leader in sacks, Tuli Tuapolotu. I, I hope that I didn't butcher that name. But like he's been incredible for them, right? So one of the things is that they've also done a good job of getting pressure, of of you know sort of doing those havoc plays. Because USC's defense is not a good head up defense; they're not sitting back in coverage and making the right read and making solid tackles. They are a disruptive defense. That's what they're trying to be in year one because you know they they don't have the horses to just play head up. They're trying to to create opportunities for themselves. Uh you know Eric Gentry I think has also been really good for them. Arizona State transfer who people were really excited about. He's a the announcers can't stop talking about how he's gigantic, which he is. He's like 6'7". But like I I think that they do just enough defensively to to play again well situationally. They get teams off the field in key spots. They get teams off the field on third downs. They give the ball back to their offense with a chance to get into rhythm. And, you know, look, if we get later in the year, I think we might have to have a Caleb Williams conversation because it hasn't been consistently good this year. But I, I think that I think that USC can do just enough to win. And I think that their defense will give them enough time to create explosive plays offensively. And so I think I'm still leading USC in this game. It's going to be a great challenge. I think we're going to learn a lot about both of these teams, but I'm going to lean USC. USC's defense, 12 interceptions this season, leads the nation. Utah's defense, 10 interceptions this season, tied for third in the nation. So it's going to be potentially up for grabs here. Two really good quarterbacks, but again, lots of picks. I feel like Utah, as we have discussed, as we booted them out, sort of it's gone as bad as it could go, right? That they just, they've had a couple injuries. They've had the turnovers that have gone against them at the wrong time. And I feel like for USC, it's gone about as well as it could go. That again, they're undefeated. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of good there. And again, USC is doing exactly what they paid Lincoln Riley to do, right? This is, USC is absolutely on the right track. Again, were, were you a person who thought they could do it right away and be a, a playoff contender year one? Or did you think it would take a little bit to get their feet under them? I think you were a little more towards the playoff. I was a little more towards the feet under them. They could be four and two. You know, going into this game, USC is six and zero. Utah is four and two. I think those records could be flipped. It's, it wouldn't take a lot for Utah to be six and zero and USC four and two. Utah is actually favored in this game at home by three, and I am going to take Utah here. I just think if you get, um, I, I don't think I think an even turnover battle. Um, I think Cam Rising will stress the run game for Utah will stress the USC defense enough if they're not getting turnovers. I think USC maybe needs to win the turnover battle by like two to win this game. And maybe they'll win it by five. And they'll be like, my gosh, USC won by four touchdowns. They keep doing what they're doing. Again, it's basically home field advantage for Utah. Utah minus three. I'll take Utah. Who are you taking? I'm taking USC. I, I think that I think they win it uh, the turnover battle by enough and you know, sometimes it's just an unfortunate circumstance, but when you look at these two teams, these are also two teams that have played opposite levels of situational football. USC has taken advantage of every opportunity that they've been given. Utah squandered most opportunities they've been given. And, uh, you know, is that a program DNA thing or is that just a product of circumstance? I don't know, but I do know what I've seen so far this season. And I think USC will be able to take advantage once again. That isn't the thing because it's, it's how you look at it. When you have a trend like that, do you believe the trend will continue or that the trend will flip, that things will go back, will regress to the mean? And I do think if you had a team that wasn't well coached or if you had an undisciplined team or if you had a team that had never been in a situation like this and was collapsing under pressure, then I think you could say, ah, oh, Utah, like when it's there, they can't take it. But I think the way Utah played last year, the way Cam Rising played last year, the way Kyle Whittingham's done it at Utah for two decades, my instinct is more, you know, I don't think Cam Rising's a turnover machine. You know, I just think he threw a bad pick at the wrong time and he had a rough fumble at the wrong time and here we are. So I, I'm more towards now in this moment, again, especially because USC's got to go on the road to this environment. Um, I think maybe we get more of Utah rising to the occasion and USC 
not that USC won't rise to the occasion, but maybe the luck just turns against them a little bit. So in the end, our picks, we have two that we agree on. We, we both take Michigan. I really almost took Penn State, but we both take Michigan. We both take Oklahoma State over TCU. Shahan's taking Bama. I'm taking Tennessee. Shahan's taking USC. I'm taking Utah. So let's get to our rankings very quickly before we go. We have our 10 teams that we're ranking here, our 10 playoff contenders. I have Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama as my top three. Who are your top three? I have Ohio State, Georgia, and I have Clemson at three. And just real quick, we are far enough in the season, we're basically halfway through, that I am at this point almost purely judging resumes. Enough teams have quality stuff to show that uh, that I, I'm not just taking stuff for granted. So when we get to my Michigan ranking, just keep that in mind. Yeah, and Clemson's ascending. Clemson really is like, they've played some tight games, but they really might be getting it together. DJU's playing pretty well. I think the defense still, you know, they had some injury issues early in the secondary. They There still might be a peak out there for this defense. You still wonder, is the playmaking at receiver great? But I, you can see how Clemson will like continue to get it together over the course of this season. I think we had this discussion before. I have Clemson four, so not a huge disagreement there. I have Clemson four, Tennessee five. Who do you have four and five? I have Tennessee four and I have Alabama five. But you pick Bama. And I have Bama ahead of Tennessee, but I pick Tennessee. <laughs> there you so, go. <laughs> congratulations to us for potentially making no sense. Um, I have Michigan six and Penn State seven. Who do you have six and seven? Yeah, I have I have uh, USC six and Oklahoma State seven. Uh, I have UCLA eight, Oklahoma State nine, and USC ten. Who do you have eight, nine, ten? I have UCLA eight. I have Michigan nine. I have Penn State ten. And like I mentioned, we don't, in my opinion, have any meaningful data on Michigan. They've looked really good against teams that they should look good against outside of that Maryland game, and. Again, when I look at Oklahoma State, they've done something. They went on the road and they beat Baylor. UCLA, back-to-back weeks, Washington and Utah, you get both of them. I, I just think at this point, I, I, I'm i not excusing resume anymore. I, I have to look at that primarily. And, you know, Michigan, look, if Michigan beats Penn State by 20 points this week, they're going to jump up to like three. Uh, that, that's a real conversation that I'll have, but I don't have that data right now at this second. I obviously understand your point. And again, I do this a little bit differently than if I was an AP voter where I was all about resume. I don't know that I have, again, USC leads the nation in creating turnovers, but I think beyond that, that's a huge thing. I don't want to completely ignore that and act like, oh, well, balls just fall in their laps. They didn't do anything to deserve it. But I think I have generally more questions about USC defensively than I have questions about anything that Michigan does or anything that Penn State does. And so that part of it, again, Yes, USC has done a little bit more, but like to go to Oregon State and have to drive on the final possession of the game to score the game-winning touchdown, there's a part of that that's impressive, but there's also a part of that that I'm like, what? How did that go that way? You know, so, um, you know, Michigan like looked terrible at Indiana, had a difficult situation where Mike Hart, their running backs coach, had a medical situation on the sideline. Thank goodness, it seems like he's going to be fine. But that was like a certainly a, a tough situation for, for Michigan that game. And Indiana's not very good, but Michigan didn't play well. Then they still won by 21, right? That it wasn't that it wasn't a barn burner down to the four last four minutes in that situation. So that's that's what's holding me back a little bit with USC. I think yes, USC's the the cumulative nature of some of their better wins is better, but I still can't get away from. I, I there's a part of USC that I have that I don't trust, and I don't know that I feel that as much about Penn State and Michigan. Yeah, I mean, I think that a big part of this just comes down to your valuation of those teams that USC has played. I think that, you know, when you look at the grouping of Oregon State, Washington State, and Fresno State, I think those are three pretty good teams. I mean, I, again, I have I, I have Washington State probably a little higher than most people, but they've looked really impressive this year. And so I gave them quite a bit of credit for pulling away in that game. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, I think that for Michigan, right, like their, their best opponent that they played so far is Maryland and they were okay in that game. They kind of had to pull away at the end too. So, you know, it, that's kind of how I weigh it right now. Um, you know, I, I 
obviously don't have any issue with anybody who would have Michigan higher. And, and it's funny, we we're kind of handling this opposite. I, I kind of use resume a little further here. And I tend to when I'm thinking of like a ranking or a ballot, I, I tend to not care about resume quite as much. So, you know, I don't know. It's just a, it's just a different way of doing things, I guess. And you have to rank 131 teams every week, which which I would <laughs> never do. I would never do. I would just have like, at like when I got to like 48, I would just have a tie for 48th among everybody else who's left because I would give up. Uh, Shahan, Ohio State 1, Georgia 2, Clemson 3, Tennessee 4, Bama 5, USC 6, Oklahoma State 7, UCLA 8, Michigan 9, Penn State 10. Me, Ohio State 1, Georgia 2, Bama 3, Clemson 4, Tennessee 5, Michigan 6, Penn State 7, UCLA 8, Oklahoma State 9, and USC 10. We will see how these games go. We will look forward to the weekend, as I'm sure you guys will as well. We'll be back next week with the Apple Show, that bonus episode you can get. You subscribe for $2.99 a month. You get four bonus episodes every month. Uh, And then, you know, like Ohio State's off this week, some people off this week, but we'll be back. More great games ahead. We're here twice a week, once on the bonus show, once on the Wednesday show for everybody. Read Shahan J. Haraja at CBS Sports. For Shahan, I'm Doug. And that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.